I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of The Bell Tell Husband, produced by our sister podcast, The Indo Daily. Putin and Kim Jong un, a terrifying union or a desperate PR stunt? <laughs> 566 days into Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Vladimir Putin has invited a very special guest to his homeland, the notoriously travel-shy supreme leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. It's at the dictator's lonely hearts club. Neither of these guys gets out much anymore. Putin hasn't traveled outside of Russia for a year. And Kim, this is his first sortie abroad in four years. Kim traveled to a space center outside Moscow by armored train. It's a 21-carriage train. It's been dubbed by some as Kim's moving fortress. With a potential arms deal at the top of the agenda, Western leaders are watching closely. The United States believes that Mr. Kim is meeting Mr. Putin to finalize an arms deal, that North Korea has agreed to provide Russia with the ammunition and the artillery that it needs to fight its war in Ukraine. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by freelance journalist and Russia analyst Jason Corcoran to assess a most unusual friendship. Jason Corcoran, Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un are... You could say, without being, well, with being light about it, our favourite dictators. Um, they are kind of cartoon characters in their own way, but two very dangerous men and the idea of them meeting is very rare and very worrying, is it? Absolutely. I think um, the two leaders have met, you know, explicitly uh, because Putin needs weaponry and ammunition to support his war machine, Ukraine. Uh, Iran, which is also another pariah, is already supplying drones and other equipment to Russia, but Russia needs more of everything. And Korea has one of the biggest armies in the world and a vast stockpile of Soviet-era artillery shells and ammunition, which could be partly a solution to Russia's shortages. But I think, Kevin, this is also its the dictator's lonely hearts club. Neither of these guys gets out much anymore. Uh, Putin hasn't traveled outside of Russia for a year. And Kim, this is his first sortie abroad in four years. And Kim Jong-un, like his dad and granddad, has always been very isolated on the international stage. North Korean state television showed Kim Jong-un waving to top government and military officials as he left Pyongyang on his bulletproof train for Russia. And he has good reason to be smiling. As the slow-moving train crossed the Russian border, Kim 
is finally feeling needed, courted by President Vladimir Putin. Putin, by his actions over the past 10 years since the annexation of Crimea in 2014, and particularly since his brutal invasion of Ukraine on very spurious reasons, reasons has now found himself in the same club as Kim. And if you remember, in August, Putin didn't go to the BRICS event in South Africa for fear that he could be arrested uh, by due to the arrest warrant issued by the International Criminal Court in The Hague for his role in war crimes. And now it looks like he won't travel to the G20 summit in Rio de Janeiro because uh, Brazil's leader Lula has given very mixed messages about Putin's safety. If we go back to May this year um, for Victory Day, which is one of the biggest days in Russia's calendar, Putin could only welcome the leaders from Belarus, which is a vassal state of Russia, and Kyrgyzstan. And back in the day, Putin was welcoming people like Macron and Angela Merkel and China's leader Xi. It's quite extraordinary to see in this day and age the idea of Kim taking that train all the way up to Russia, getting off. We've seen the pictures overnight of the handshake, the very friendly. Like, is it a PR stunt or is there a real genuine mutual benefit for these two guys in terms of what they can offer each other in, in artillery um, technology, all the rest of it. I guess my question is, are they just doing it for the optics or is there something actually behind all this? I think there's real tangible benefits for North Korea and Russia. Um, there's been no direct mention that I've seen about armed supplies to Moscow when they met. Uh, but both leaders were keen to emphasize the growing alliance between their two regimes uh, Kim has some, some incredible quotes he's come out with. <laughs> he said, we will be together in the fight against imperialism. This is in part backing for Russia's war with um, Ukraine and its conversation with the West. And then some really fawning stuff. He said, he was sure the Russian army and the people will, tri- will triumph against evil. And he spoke about Russia's sacred fight to protect its sovereignty and security. So this is really echoing the spurious reasons Putin has used to justify the invasion of Ukraine. Um, As well as offering a toast to Putin's health, Kim also, the pair, had agreed on further deepening of strategic cooperation. Uh, We don't know the exact details. Uh, Putin, for his his money, was less effusive than Kim in his comments, but he confirmed that Russia would help North Korea build satellites due to Kim's great interest in rocket engineering, And he also proposed a toast for strengthening friendship and the well-being between the people of the two nations. But Kevin, we do know the Kremlin is very keen to secure supplies of what is, you know, it's anticipated to be a very long war. It's already over a year and a half. And the militarized North Korea is home to the largest stockpile of weapons in the world. And a lot of this is compatible to Russia's military, Soviet-era stuff. So Putin will be keen to get his hands on some of these artillery shells and anti-tank missiles. And in return, uh, Kim will be looking to get technology for satellites and his nuclear-powered submarines. Uh, They launched two missiles today. They dumped them in the sea uh, close to Japan. So they're still still very interested in in raffling um, on the Korean Peninsula and also sort of getting the Americans back up and also Japan. What did you make of the visit? They met at a, a cosmodrome, a space centre, which I guess was symbolic as, as you mentioned, Kim's interests in all things space and rockets. 
it really was Putin rolling out the red carpet for him. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 started the the meeting with a tour of the Soyuz two two space rocket launch facility. Pyongyang has failed twice recently in a bid to send a military spy satellite into into space. And Vostochny is a very interesting place. This cosmodrome was set up uh, by Putin, I think, in 2018 or thereabouts to reduce Russia's dependency on Baikonur. Baikonur is in Kazakhstan, which, of course, used to be in the USSR club, but it hasn't. Uh, but unfortunately for Putin, um, uh, this cosmodrome hasn't covered itself in glory recently. The Soyuz rocket carrying the Luna a spacecraft, which many of our listeners would have seen, crashed into the moon and was quickly dubbed uh, Splatnik. Uh, while Kim, well, and then of course Kim uh, uh, sent those two ballistic missiles uh, into the sea in the latest of the sanctions-busting tests. So it really plays into Kim's absolute fascination with rockets. And of course, we remember that Donald Trump uh, dubbed him Rocket Man uh, not so long ago. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. Yeah, and I note he actually wrote in the visitor book at the Space Centre, the glory to Russia, which gave birth to the first space conquerors, will be immortal. So high praise indeed on that score. Who did Kim bring with him on this trip? The most interesting person for me was uh, Kim Tuk Yo Jong. Uh, she is uh, Kim's sister and she holds a very senior position in the Workers' Party of Korea. Uh, she's even been mentioned as a possible successor to her brother. Uh, there's been obviously some rumors about Kim's health. She herself has made headlines for her strident warnings against the West and South Korea. I think last year she she told South Korea's president to shut his mouth after he made oh, quite a, seems like a quite a, a generous offer of economic aid in return for denuclearization. And she also told U.S. President Joe Biden not to cause a stink on the international scene when he became US president. But besides from the sister, yeah, there was a list of officials, uh, defense and economic officials and diplomats, uh, which suggests Kim must be looking to discuss economic cooperation in return for those um, weapons. It was previously that North Korea was dependent upon uh, Russia or China uh, for support. And now because of the war in Ukraine, uh, Russia's having all kinds of challenges. It looks to me as if Putin's gone to North Korea with a tin cup in hand asking for, for weapons, munitions and support, which is an inverse of their previous relationship, which is pretty fascinating. We know there's a huge amount of paranoia in North Korea and a lot of, as you mentioned, you know, this idea that Kim's sister could ultimately take over from him if anything happened to him. So the idea of the two of them being on this armoured train together, together in itself seems unusual to me for such a long and dangerous trip. His father was famously afraid of flying. Is Kim similar to that or why did they take the train? I don't think Kim shares the fear of flying that forced his father, Kim Jong-il, to travel long distances by rail. Uh, Kim flew to the 2018 summit in Singapore with Trump and to a meeting with the Chinese leader Xi the same year in the Chinese city of Dailan. Um, a flight from Pyongyang to Vladivostok in Russia takes one hour. 
Kim's train, I think, covers 8,000 kilometers in just under 24 hours. So it, I think for Kim, it's, it's about arriving in style, comfort. And I think he thinks this train adds gravitas to his, to his trip. An armoured train carrying the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is reported to have entered Russia en route to a meeting with President Putin. South Korean and Japanese reports say Mr Kim's trains arrived in the Russian far east town of Kasan, heading towards Vladivostok. This is Mr Kim's first trip abroad for four years. It certainly gives intrigue anyway, if nothing else. What do we know about the train, Jason? Uh, yeah, it's a 21-carriage train, and it's been dubbed by by some as Kim's moving fortress. It is bulletproof, steel-plated, and it has floors to protect against explosives. It, apparently, an earlier version even had tack weapons and a helicopter for escape in case of emergency. Not many people have been inside this train uh, but there are two accounts from Russian bureaucrats uh, who've traveled on the train with Kim's father. There's a guy, a Russian bureaucrat called Konstantin Polakovsky. He has a book um, that came out, I think, about nearly 20 years ago called The Orange Express. And he he was on this train um, uh, in 2001, I think. And he describes the, the the luxury and the lavish food. There was cases of Bordeaux and Beaujolais, Beaujolais wine flowing in from Paris, lobsters, and you could order, you know, any dish in Russian cuisine, Chinese, French, or even sushi. And on this particular trip, we've seen pictures of Kim reclining on Barbie-esque pink couches. And apparently there is a karaoke room, Kevin, on board, so he can serenade his entourage with his favourite K-pop tunes. Sounds like a hen, uh, the, the, the Irish rail train to Galway on a, or to Carrick and Shannon on a Friday. Um, apparently the, that, that book you mentioned also talked about young female singers referred to as the lady conductors. So it does sound like it might be a bit of a, a fun jaunt. I don't want to make light of it, but it's certainly not what you imagine if you think taking a train for 24 hours. But we'll move on. You mentioned... The that Biden has been told by um, the the Kim's family before to not create a stink. What is the U.S. view on what we have seen in the last twenty four hours? I think the White House is is a little spooked, and they've threatened to impose additional sanctions on North Korea if any deal goes through. Of course, if Russia was to do a deal, uh, it would be in contravention of UN security resolutions which could automatically spark fresh sanctions. Um, But uh, I I think the U.S. is keeping a very close eye on what's happening. Um, But, uh, of course, across the the political spectrum, Donald Trump has a very different view of of Biden, and both Kim and and Putin are hoping that uh, Trump will make a a successful return to to the the White House in, in a year's time. It's worth remembering, he once called Kim Little Rocket Man, and then went on to call him one of his great friends. We have a good relationship. It's very important. And then we fell in love, okay? No, really. He wrote me beautiful letters, and they're great letters. We fell in love. I want to read you his resume, okay? He presides over a cruel kingdom of repression, gulags, starvation, 
uh, reports that he had his half-brother assassinated, slave labor, public executions. This is a guy you love. I know all these things. I mean, I'm not a baby. Remind people of their very unusual relationship. Yes, it started, I think, in 2018, this very infamous summit um, between North Korea and the US in Singapore. And this was the first ever summit between the two countries. And uh, they signed a joint statement um, agreeing to security guarantees for North Korea and new peaceful relations and de- denuclearization of the peninsula. Since uh, th- that that summit, uh, Trump uh, has has continued the bromance, well, at least from his side. We're not so sure about Kim. In about a year ago, Trump told his associates uh, that he remains in contact with Kim to this day. And that's included in a new book by the New York Times journalist Maggie Haberman. And then in an interview in May this year, uh, Trump elaborated on his letters to Kim Jong-un and says he talks to him a lot. They get on very well. He says that Kim is very smart, very cunning. And uh, I think that they have a great relationship. So, And he's also spoken about the fact they both had red buttons on their desk and were prepared to use them. And he, he, Trump, of course, he had a bigger, bigger red button than Kim and his works. Uh, and uh, both of them have a lot of anger. He's a bad done. guy. Look, let it be whatever it is. I get along with him really well. I have a good energy with him. I have a good chemistry with him. Look at the horrible threats that were made. No more threats. No more threats. If Trump goes back into the White House and you have a Trump, Kim Jong-un and Putin all in power at the same time, that could be a different playing field, I guess, than we're looking at at the minute. But what about the other big powerhouse in all of this, China? Yeah, China will, I I don't think China will be too happy about Russia entering into uh, what they regarded as their backyard, their monopoly territory. Beijing may be worried about the regional destabilization impact if Russia transfers military technology to North Korea. Um, and also you've had um, Kremlin's policy advisor, Yuri Yushakov, said that Putin is trying to, to visit China in October this year. So this would be his first foreign trip for, for Putin in over a year to, uh, to visit and talk about the Belt and Road Infrastructure Project, which, uh, which winds its way from China across through Mongolia, Kazakhstan and Russia to create new trade routes uh, for China. And Putin himself has said that Western efforts to restrain China's ascent were doomed to fail. So Putin is careful to try to balance uh, his geopolitical uh, relations with China and this new uh, uh, relationship, a new growing relationship with North Korea. Uh, But uh, I don't think Beijing will be too impressed if uh, it it debalances the, the, the region. You've spent a lot of time in Russia. You know the terrain very well, Jason. How do you think this will play out with the Russian people? Will they see this as a good day for the country, that they have the leader of North Korea in their presence? 
And I think we were, so Putin is uh, looking to um, return as president again in, in March next year for a fifth term. Uh, I, I think uh, they're used to seeing Putin on the world stage with the US leader, Xi, um, and, you know, meeting with the BRIC leaders. And fortunately for him, he, uh, he didn't get to meet with the BRIC leaders because of the sphere of the, um, the arrest warrant from the international uh, crimes um, in uh, The Hague. So he's bending and scraping to North Korea leader, which is really uh, an impoverished nation and a hermit nation. So I, I don't think it plays very well domestically for Putin. And we touched only briefly, but we should probably come back to Ukraine, which is the backdrop to all of this, the war that is is ongoing now for so long. What... Where is that at, first of all? And what will this meeting, depending um, on what comes out of it, ultimately, I suppose, between Kim Jong-un and Putin, how will that change the course of that war? I think if if Putin does secure additional um, ammunition and missiles, it will just prolong the war, which is already heading towards uh, two years. And Putin has said that Ukraine's claims that U- Ukraine's counteroffensive has delivered no results during a Q&A session in Vladivostok prior to meeting with the North Korean leader. Uh, he, he has, for now, he seems to have ruled out any further conscription or mobilization to help his war effort. He claims that 1,500 Russians are signing voluntary contracts to join the military every day. I would take that with the grain of salt because one million Russians have fled the draft since the general mobilization in September last year. And we've also had Putin is carrying on accusing Ukraine and the West of crimes of deploying cluster munitions and using depleted uranium in ornaments. No end in sight really is the summary then, isn't it? Jason Corcoran, thank you very much. My thanks to Jason Corcoran. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carl and Dee Reddy, researched by Dave Hanratty, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips were from The Guardian, CNBC, BBC News, ABC News, and 60 Minutes. If you enjoyed the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish independent. Terms and conditions apply.